This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession. This episode is brought to you by the Top Predator. Do you have what it takes to be the Top Predator? Tickets are on sale now at thetoppredator.com, and that is a fitness archery challenge. Well, hey guys, welcome to the Western Obsessions TV podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Belding, and I have a guest today, Dan Statton. He is the owner, founder of Elk Shape. Uh, overall, great dude, man, into fitness real big. Dan, what's going on, man? Everything, man. Just, uh, you know, another day in paradise. <laughs> I get you, dude. Just grinding like normal, huh? Did you get your workout in sure. today? No, I trade at four o'clock today with the homies. We got a good one planned. Nice. Very good, man. Um, well, shoot, usually I jump in here, man, and I, I like to get to know kind of how you get in, how you got into hunting. I, like, I kind of like that backstory of like, usually it's a dad or grandpa, or my case was even a mom. But uh, how'd you get into hunting, man? A mom. That's cool. Yeah. I haven't heard of that before. Uh, yeah, my dad, for sure, man, just following around grouse hunting. We grew up in the country. Got my hunter safety card when I was 10, took me deer hunting, and then um, high school, well, junior high and high school sports took over, so I kind of put hunting on ice. Once I graduated high school, uh, I quit baseball, um, decided not to pursue it anymore, and what, you know, I wanted to get back into hunting, and dad was like, let's do it, and so kind of hit it hard right out of high school and haven't stopped. Nice, man. So, like, you kind of took a break during high school because sports hit hard. Maybe some girls, I'm assuming, is in there, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And that's the same for me, man. I played college baseball, so I played a little bit of, a little bit of ball. And college and, and I, yeah, I'd say, like, out of high school on to college, I really put hunting on the shelf. I didn't really get back into it until I was, like, late 20s until I got back into it. But, um. But yeah, man, getting back in, um, t tell me, like, was elk hunting, is that like the thing for your family? Because it seems like that is like the major thing you do. Or what did you guys hunt growing up? Yeah, we live in Washington. So the elk hunting is not like other states. It's not that great. But we have elk, but it's not um, abundant in opportunity. The seasons are extremely short. You have to pick a weapon. Nothing's really changed. Um, it's a very liberal state. So, you know, hunting's not really widely accepted. Uh, it's not part of the heritage, at least on the Seattle area. In high school, uh, once I graduated, we went right back to deer hunting. And I told the story so many times, but the Cliff Notes version is we went deer scouting at age, I think I was, so I was an old senior. I turned 18 right into my senior year. So when I turned 19, I was my, I was going into the first fall of no, no high school, no sports, so that's when I was like, dad, let's get back into deer hunting. Um, Cause I had some pretty good success um, prior to junior high. And he was like, let's go. I got a spot. I'll take you. We'll go, we'll go scout it out for the opener. And we went to public land, Washington, and we ended up finding elk instead of deer. Um, the season wasn't open yet, but it was a week away. So we went to the general store in Spokane and bought license and tags for elk and a Primo's cassette tape that accompanied like a, a Doug Flutie bugle tube, you know, and uh, we listened to the tape on the way to the hunting spot opening morning in the dark. And there was dudes on Primo's tape cassette, like hunting elk 
and all you could hear was the audio. They're calling these elk in. You can hear the brush breaking a big bull with its horns coming through. You hear the arrow the crush the ribs, the string break. And I was like, I just remember like very intrigued by that. Hour later, shot my first bull with the rifle at about 20 yards. Pretty sure I didn't even look through the scope. Uh, <laughs> my dad called it in using his little cow call that he just bought. I was hooked. So I was just turned 19. Um, that moment changed my life, uh, literally. And from there on, I went, ended up buying a bow uh, for myself, teaching myself all the wrong ways to shoot a bow. And my uncle took me elk hunting, archery elk hunting in Idaho the very next year. And so since that, since that time, I haven't missed an elk season archery. Um, and I've hunted Idaho every year since in a bunch of other states. And I'm, we're talking the entire elk season too. I, I remember when I was um, age 20, that was my first year, I was a personal trainer and I told all my clients that I will not be training you in the month of September. I'm going elk hunting. Here's your workout programs. I'll holler at you in October. And truly haven't missed an, an archery elk season yet. Dang, man, that is, I'm not going to like ask your age to see how many seasons that is, but like, that's a lot. You got 20. You have, 20. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, that's awesome. 20 straight seasons elk hunting. And I'm assuming most of them being pretty successful, but like, I want to throw it back to like when you and your dad went up, bought the cassette or the CD, whatever it was back then. Listen, basically, hey, crash course real quick. How do we kill these elk? And uh, have you guys like elk called before that or knew how to call it all? I've never even seen elk hunting videos at that point in my life. That was all new to me. <clears throat> um, when I walked up on this elk that I just killed with a rifle, I couldn't believe how big it was. Uh, <laughs> the horns were huge. I mean, it was a five by five, but it was just, I'd only killed deer up to that point. And then um, dumbass me and my dad, we like didn't know how to quarter an elk up and pack it out. So like we gutted it like a deer. We went back to the truck and we got like chains and a chainsaw winch and a trailer and a four-wheeler and we like got the elk on the trailer somehow i still don't know how we, with ropes and pulleys we packed the whole thing out whole whole yeah uh we didn't know what we were doing man we didn't know anything but we knew i knew as soon as we had that elk butchered up and i had all that meat and i was already into fitness i was like okay how many deer would i have to kill to equal this much perfect protein how do I do this? And how do I hear the elk bugle and get in close like those cassette sounds that I was hearing? So, I mean, I told you, it, it literally changed my life. That's pretty amazing, man. That, that's a hell of an experience you had right there for sure. And being able to kill one within what you said, an hour being out there. And that's, yep, dude, that's awesome. Lucky, pure that's, luck. Ah, you know, being the right spot, the right time and, and just going for it, man. Like you got to like just show up and go for it. Right. So, um, yeah. let's talk about elk shape, man. You've been, uh, You've been working on this for a while. I kind of like did a little research before you came on, man. Like you, I think you've been cranking on something like elk shape or like, I know you're big in CrossFit, big into fitness, but, um, is this is not an overnight success at all. Like most people might think it is, but you've been working hard on this, man. Tell me about it. It's just a passion project that continues to grow. Um, you know, my partner Kenton and I started trained to hunt.com in 2010 and it was kind of similar to the challenge that you're, you're doing that's coming up that I'm pretty excited about. And that it was an online format to, to help hunters get ready for hunting via fitness. And in 2010, the interwebs weren't as powerful as they are now. 
what we may do, I mean, we made daily workouts and videos every freaking day for a couple years of we do workouts, film them, edit them, publish them. And it turned into a train to hunt challenge. And um, the long story of that is we basically owned two CrossFit gyms and trained to hunt. And I, we both agreed that we couldn't be serving three masters. So we split it. He pursued train to hunt. I pursued both gyms, which I immediately closed one because it was bleeding and I kept the good one. I did that for 11 years. And as soon as I walked away from train to hunt, I started elkshape.com as just a place to either blog or put up YouTube videos and just kind of like, I want to express what I do to get in shape for elk hunting and my passion for leveraging elk hunting to make me better, you know, in all facets of life. And so that's what elk shape was started in 2013, got kind of serious about it about five years ago when I started a podcast and then a couple of years later, I got really serious and um, hired a producer to help me with the YouTube side of things just because it's so hard to make content by yourself. Uh, and then eventually sold my gym and decided to just do elk shape full time. So yeah, it was definitely, it took years to get where we're at and I don't know where we're going. I'm just going to ride the wave as long as I can. Yeah, man, that's great. Like when you said that you were making a or filming a video and putting it out daily, back then that is tremendously hard to do now i couldn't imagine what it'd be like back then when you don't have the technology the editing softwares that you had back then and that is a tremendous amount of work it was like final cut pro you know i had to buy a mac um i think it was vimeo had just come out so we were putting them on vimeo and we didn't have kids and so i'd get home from a long day of coaching classes and athletes and my wife was in nursing school so she'd be tired and I'd stay up late every night editing the videos and my buddy Kenton didn't know how to edit. So it was like, it was on me and, um, man, I don't, I don't miss that part <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. That's a lot of work. So you owned, so, uh, you, you broke from your partner, your partner took train to hunt. You went and grabbed the CrossFit gyms, ran those. Um, I own a CrossFit gym also myself. We have a lot of similarities, man. So yeah. I want to cross the gym right now. And I dude, I get like, you know, it's localized. It's not really scalable, but I really love the people, man. I love CrossFit and I enjoy being there. It's not a very good business, but I enjoy being there. You know, it's not. Um, do you still own a CrossFit? You know, you don't, you're all, no, I sold it. Yeah, I'm out. Sold. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, uh, it's not something you scale and make a lot of money at, but man, I really enjoy it. Um, so what, what, what was the choice like? So like you had the CrossFit gym, you're thinking about, you had already started Elk Shape. At what point did you say, hey, I think I'm going to go this route and why? So I put it out there on my podcast. I wanted to do an Elk Shape camp. And I basically wanted to take a bunch of good elk hunting people that are like subject matter experts on calling or backcountry gear. This is pre-COVID. This is pre-surge of elk hunters. And I, said, I want to bring them to my gym. And then I'll handle the fitness nutrition and we'll kind of smash together a, a fitness boot camp, a CrossFit level one certification and an elk hunting certification all into one. And we'll make it for archery elk hunters. And I said, tickets go on sale this Friday. Um, I have room for 20 and a good litmus test is it sold out within an hour. And 
we're doing an elk shape camp. So people were flying in from all over the country. I had guys flying in from Florida, Pennsylvania. I didn't even have that many downloads of my podcast, but that's the only place I advertised. And that first camp was amazing. I will say, looking back, it does not look like the camps I do to this very day. Um, there was a lot more fitness involved. I feel sorry for those guys. I put them through the ringer, but, uh, that was the very first, like, Oh wow. Like I could be doing elk hunting camps. I could be doing YouTube podcasts. And, um, I, I had my gym at a point where I was only managing it. I wasn't really day to day in there in the trenches. And, um, I also was from a business standpoint for those listening, this was the first time I realized I needed to tighten up my systems at my gym. So it wasn't Dan Staten's gym and that it was actually a gym that had systems and people in place and that I could potentially sell it to somebody and it could be turnkey. So it took me a little while, probably six, seven months to really dial in my systems and make my gym um, sellable, if that's the right word, but uh, was able to do that. And that, I, I love that whole process because uh I had ran the gym for 10 years without really having systems in place. Yeah. And I, and I have a, a big business background and I know like your business is not an asset unless that business can run without you, right? Like by putting systems into place, you can't really sell Dan Stanton's gym if you're not there and if it's relied upon you. So like that's a big move for a business. How'd you get into fitness, man? How'd you get into CrossFit? Yeah, so CrossFit was um, the Antichrist to me. Uh, my background's exercise science, a master's exercise phys. I was an NSCA guy. I had CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. I wanted to be an NFL strength and conditioning coach. I had leveraged uh, several internships. I had worked with professional athletes in Arizona and New Jersey. I was a speed coach. I mean, I had positioned myself resume-wise to do that. And... The short story is when I was in Boise, Idaho, I was running a speed school and we needed to make more money and kids, college kids, high school athletes, they're at school all day. And so the gym owner looked at me and showed me a PL for the first time. And he said, a profit and loss statement. He's like, we need to profit. <laughs> we need to get out of the red into the black. So you need to generate more revenue during the day. So I decided to um, start an adult like speed and agility class and those went really well but i wanted to add some conditioning at the very end so i ended up researching and i found crossfit.com saw some of the workouts i i honestly thought they were the dumbest thing i've ever read and i did find one that looked okay so i like a, any good strength coach you try it out on yourself got my teeth kicked in and next thing you know all i'm doing is crossfit workouts I'm logging on to the really old website and posting my times and looking at other people and I'm getting all competitive about it. Uh, and then I started reading some of their literature and I it started checking out and um, long story short, I sipped the Kool-Aid in 2007, got my first CrossFit cert in 2007, opened my CrossFit gym in my hometown in 2008. Yeah. And I think at some point, I think you, you guys went to regionals a few times, right? As a team. Is that right? Was that what I was reading? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know where you would read that. I don't like to talk about it, but yeah, we That's used to fun. compete. <laughs> we used to compete. Uh, like we had a team that made the CrossFit games twice. So okay. we've been to back in those days, it was in LA. So we would go down, um, compete as a team. We would get like 30th out of 40 teams. We weren't that good, but we were able to be good enough in our area 
and get the cool Reebok gear and, oh, yeah. and experience the crowd. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. I don't miss the volume that we had to do to compete at CrossFit, but it was sure um, pretty exciting. Like nowadays I would have no chance to make the CrossFit games as any athlete, even in a 40 to 44 year old athlete, those guys are, that's their life. Oh yeah. And I had, if you want to compete, it has to be your life. And that's, I'm with you, man. Like I love doing, I love working out. Uh, fitness is awesome. I own a CrossFit gym, but I am, I don't want to make it my life. You know, that's not what I'm going to do for my life. So I'm with you on that 100%. But let's talk about, let's kind of transition into like how fitness helps with hunting, especially backcountry hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting. And I, I also guided, I'm, I'm a guide on an outfitter also. Okay. And I, man, the biggest variable that I see of uh, a guy I'm taking hunting or girl is fitness level. If you want to kill an elk, or you want to kill a deer, or you want to be successful. Most guys that I guide are not in the good enough shape to get it done. Do you see the same kind of thing, man? I don't know. I get a lot of blowback about preaching fitness to hunting. I, I still, still to this day, get guys that may, I can't figure it out if they're just unhappy with their life or, they're just a keyboard grumpy warrior, but I constantly, even yesterday, I get guys that were like, basically in a negative spin, say what you're, what you're preaching is dumb, that you don't have to be in shape to kill an elk. And I think they're just not understanding the message. So let's get it clear. Yeah. You don't have to be super fit to kill an elk and you could still pack it out. It would suck, but yes, don't get it twisted. I, that's not what I'm preaching. I'm preaching, take care of your body because I don't know how many elk seasons Kurt or I have left, but Lord willing, we can elk hunt as long as we're on this earth. And so for me, it's about trajectory. I want to elk hunt with my son's son. I want to still be able to be out there. I don't want to be at camp just cooking food. I want to be up like, packing elk out till the day I die. And so for me, you don't have to be in shape to, to, to be successful, but we both can agree you'll have a more enjoyable experience. You might be able to cover more ground, recover faster, and be able to do it all over again if you hunt you know, multiple states like I do. And maybe you'll be able to do it for the rest of your life and be able to enjoy it. So I think it's so much easier to stay in elk shape than to do the yo-yo where you get out and then couple weeks or months before you're like oh crap you hit the panic button you're like i gotta quickly get into elk shape it just doesn't sound like a sustainable way of life for me yeah man i'm with you on that like of course and that's one thing i say a lot too is i want to hunt till i'm 80 that's my goal is i want to hunt the way that i want to hunt me personally which i love being very physical when i hunt i love getting in deep i love doing hard shit that's that's just how i like to hunt i want to hunt the way that i want to hunt till i'm 80 years old and that's me personally I am going to jump out on a limb. I know I don't want you to have any blowback. This is me saying it, Kurt Belding. I, I am saying that your chances will go up of killing animals if you're in better shape. And yes, of course, you're going to be, have a better experience. That pack out's going to be easier. But I, there's been so many times I've been hunting, whether it be guiding or with some friends, and here's the animal, here's where we need to be, here's much time we have to get there to be successful, and it doesn't happen because they're not in the shape that they need to be to do it. That's me saying it, not Dan. So don't give him, don't give him blowback. But anyway, that's my experience, man. And uh, I believe in fitness when it comes to hunting, because I believe that's the right thing to do. And of course you can 
killing elk, killing deer without being in shape. But that's my opinion. I do. I think the, the reason why I got blowback yesterday is I had a video and it's just a quick clip. And I assume the people that were commenting were, didn't watch the entire video. So they didn't get the true context, but the clip does say, and it's on social, it says, I can tell you're not going to kill an elk just based on how you did the last 20 seconds of this workout. And that just made some people upset. Maybe, um, you know, I don't know why, but what the context behind that Kurt is that we were doing a CrossFit workout that was 14 minutes long. I had 50 athletes doing the same workout at the same time. I had half, half quit with the last 20 seconds of the workout. I could see them take the intensity button from 10 down to one and coast. And the point of that was like, look, man, elk hunting's all about opportunity to quit, pack it in early from the go. I mean, you're literally on a roller coaster, roller coaster ride that has way more downs. You're going to get tired, fatigued, duress, you know, homesick, other hunters, hunting pressure, predators, whatever equipment's going to break. Like you're going to face adversity. And if you quit in your little wimpy 14 minute workout, why do you think you're not going to quit on the mountain? So the whole fitness thing for me, yeah, I want to be in shape. Yeah. I want to look good, feel good, do good. I want to work out because I don't want to work out. And I know that if I force myself to address fitness daily, that those mental gains, those dividends pay off in the mountain. So it's actually not even about like the fitness is so important, but it's really about between the ears. I want to have this mindset of where I have reps at not quitting, quit quitting. And the only that I know to do that is to keep training and especially like today, do you think I want, I don't feel like working out, but I'm going to, I have it scheduled. It's going down and we're going to get stronger. So big yeah. rant, but I mean, I'm using your podcast to, to get it set get it the out, record man. straight. Let's get it out. Yeah. yeah. And I saw the clip. I know the clip you're talking about, man. It was like a real, like couple second little cut from that. And really what we're talking about is mental toughness. And that's not yeah. just with, with hunting, man. That's with everything in life. Like we do hard shit to build mental toughness, to be able to do hard shit in life somewhat a little easier. That's all it is, man. Mental toughness is what we're talking about. And, and you're right. Like a lot of times on the mountain, if you don't have mental toughness, you're going home, you're going back to your tent. And I, and I'm not here preaching saying that I'm the best at it because I have quit too. I've been oh, yeah. in my tent where like everything is froze over. I don't have water. My contact case is frozen. My sleeping bag broke, my tent broke. And I'm like, F it, man, I'm going home. And I, and yeah. I packed it up, man. You know, and that's just comes down to mental toughness and being prepared, man, having the right gear too. But, but yeah, it's man, long, 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 long off season, 11 months to be looking back and going GD. I wish I hadn't quit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I have, I know of one instance where I had a bull in the bottom of a Canyon in Arizona and I totally could have gone after him. And I said, told myself, you don't have enough time. You don't know what the wind's doing down there. If you get down there and it's not going to happen anyways, then you're going to have a two hour hike back out in the dark. Do you know how much I still regret not going after that bull 11 months worth? And actually that was years ago. So I still think about it to this day. So I like to come home regret free. And so I lean on that mental toughness to make sure that I don't squander any opportunities. Yeah, man, hundred percent. I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about, man. That bull's way down there. You're like, this is going to hurt. Let me give myself a bunch of excuses not to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, man, I get it. But yes, you're, sir. 
you'll pay for it. You'll pay for it for a long time, man. Do you hunt? Do you hunt anything besides elk right now? Do you do? I know you do a little bear, right? I do a lot of bear. Yeah, a lot of bear. A lot of spring bear. I hunt spring bear for usually weeks at a time in Idaho and um, going to Alaska this year for a bear hunt. Um, oh, I man, love bear hunts. Yeah. And then I hunt antelope, mule deer, whitetail, um, anything I can draw. I've, I've hunted Alaska caribou. I mean, I've killed um, mountain lions and all sorts of stuff, but elk's my number one. And, but I'm still just a bow hunter true and true, you know, through and through. Yeah. Uh, most everything you hunt is uh, with a bow, correct? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I have one gun for wolves that oh. um, I had built and that's really it. Right on, man. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, that's where your passion has elk hunting. I didn't, sorry, I didn't see um, a lot of the other hunts, but uh, that's what I just saw for me. It was like lots of elk hunting. That's where the passion's at, man. And uh, I'm going to say like, I'm hundred percent obsessed with hunting. I love all hunting. Elk hunting is probably my favorite, especially bow hunting elk that's yeah. probably my favorite but i just love being out there hunting i'm 100 percent obsessed about it and let's talk about obsession man is that good or is it bad what do you think i uh, i think it's it can it depends on the personality um but it seems to be like the best elk hunters i know are kind of all or none and that just kind of gives you a leg up on a narrow focus i mean my wife makes fun of me because i have two interests besides faith and family and it's getting right like elk hunting anything to do with elk hunting and fitness um and so i think it's healthy if you leverage it and make it everything else better than your you know in your life that's that's huge for me but it can be unhealthy as well because it can be all hunting can be self-absorbed and we run the risk of sacrificing there's trade-offs for every decision you make so there's a balance out there with family uh, married kids, things like that, your business. So if there's good and there's bad and there's a sweet spot, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but I know I'm constantly chasing that moving target of balancing family life and elk hunting life. But um, all in all, it sure keeps me out of a lot of trouble. You know, that's true. If you're obsessed with something that can't be healthy for you, you get out of the, you stay out of the negative, unhealthy stuff, right? Uh, and yeah, man, like balancing family and hunting or elk hunting with that obsession is really tough. I'm going through it right now, man. I got a brand new baby little boy. He's five weeks old. We are doing the no sleep parent train right now. <laughs> and I know, man, like hunts are coming up and I, I don't want to leave my wife alone with a baby. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, am I going to bring in a nanny and what am I going to do? But like, the balance between family and hunting is super key, man. And I really try to walk that line where I want family to be first, make sure they're taken care of, but I have to feed my obsession. What do you see? What's your tricks of keeping that family life good and being able to do all the hunting and stuff that you love to do? It's, it's a rocky road friends and I don't have it figured out and I don't claim to, but I will say I've learned some lessons. The biggest one is like, cliche communications but comms man like soon as i draw my first elk tag i'm gonna go upstairs and i'm gonna write it on the calendar even though i know my wife's gonna probably gripe him a little bit she's like oh great you're going there oh you're there but i always put the hunts on the calendar as soon as i know about them i didn't always used to do that i would spring stuff on her at the last minute just to avoid conflict and then i would head to the mountains and maybe we'd have a big fight over how long i'm gonna be gone and I don't hunt my best when my family's not doing their best. And so I tr 
typically hire a nanny and I take the burden of finding the nanny. Um, and that's not easy for me to do to find a nanny, but I've done it in the past. I've scheduled massage, had flower, I had flowers sent every year with a note on specific days for specific reasons. Um, all the stuff's on my radar as far as I don't scout as much physically as I used to because that interferes with family time. I don't shed hunt anymore because again, that gets in the way of so sacrificing certain areas, but also not being a selfish asshole about hunting. And it, it's super easy for me to fall into that trap. But I want to keep my marriage is more important than hunting. My my kids are more important than hunting, and I can't forget that. Yeah, man, that's some really good points to bring out for anybody listening here is like, um, absolutely. It, you know, these, the phrase happy wife, happy life is so true, man, because I, I have to feed my obsession. I have to do it, but I have to have a good family life and a good wife at the same time. Here's my trick that I like to do. I think of my wife of like, uh, uh, if you think of it like, like a bank, you have to deposit into the bank in order to withdraw, right? So like all year long, man, I'm making deposits, whether it be flowers, kind gestures, doing things for her. Whenever she says, I want to go out and have dinner with my girlfriends. Yes, absolutely. Go have fun. Deposit, deposit, deposit. Come hunting season. That's my big withdrawal from the bank, man. That's my secret right there. So hunters out there, keep your wife happy, man. <laughs> right. Fact. <laughs> Oh man. All right. Um, let me look at here. My notes. So you tell me about, let's, let's, let's add some value to like the hunters out there, man. And like, if someone that is about to start elk hunting, obviously you need to go to elk shape camp and you'll learn everything you need to know. But like, if you had to, if you had to give like a top five of like, okay, I'm going to start elk hunting. What's the top five things I need to do? Sure. Number one, and the, the, don't remember any other ones. That's fine. As long as you don't forget number one, understand your expectations going into the hunt. Define what success is going to be for you. Do not let Instagram define what success should be. You know, comparison is the thief of all joy. I didn't kill an elk with a bow until 2005. It took me four years and that's 30 days a year elk hunting before I finally arrowed my first bull. It's a learning curve. Coming to my camp, it's drinking from a fire hose. Some of the stuff we tell you, you're not even going to like retain it until you go out in the field and you're going to make the mistake we told you not to do. And then it's going to click and you're going to go, oh, so that's what they meant. Um, so if you could go into the season defining what a successful year, maybe it's I'm going to get into elk you know, every day, like that's a huge win or I'm going to get within archery range of an elk in my seven day hunt. That's a win. But if you don't define what success is and you come home empty handed and then you get on Instagram and see everybody killing it, uh, again, it's a highlight reel. It's not real life. So elk hunting's hard. You're going to sign up for elk hiking. You're going to be a professional elk hiker. Um, and so getting into elk is, it could be a, like a really good goal and testing gear and learning how to just understand how to navigate better and how to, you know, read sign and terrain topography features and understand elk vocalizations. All that stuff is, it's a process. It's a journey, you know, fitness, just same thing, man. I've been training for 20 plus years. This doesn't happen overnight. So 
the two, three, four, five on your list are really irrelevant if you don't have uniquely defined expectations of what a successful hunt would look like for you. Man, that's such, that's great advice, man. And I even find myself falling into that trap where like, I might have a rough season. Things just didn't quite go my way. And I have an ex- I can't help it, man. I have an expectation of every hunt I go on. I'm like, here's how I think it's going to go down. And I know I shouldn't do that, but I, I have it. I have that picture of like, this is how that hunt's going to go down. And it doesn't ever happen that way. And I get beat up during the hunt. Maybe sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. I come home, pop on Instagram or Facebook, something like the, uh, like we have an like I hunt Colorado and I'm seeing everybody kill big bulls or big deer. I'm like, fuck man, I suck. <laughs> right. You fall in that trap, man. And it's like, you know, it's 30 people out of 30,000 that are on that group, but you still see it, man. And that's really good advice, Dan, man. I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause I, even I, I fall in that trap too, man. That sucks. We all do. It's low hanging fruit. Uh, take your ego out of hunting. Uh, elk hunting should not define who you are as a person. It never should. Uh, I don't ever like reading. I killed a 380 bull, blah, 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 blah. It, no one really cares to be honest with you, like no one actually cares that you killed a 380 or a 375 or a 260 bull. Everyone can be happy for you that you had success, but you need to hunt for you and why you hunt. Don't worry about getting, you know, content on hunting and stuff like that. It's a very pure thing that could easily get jaded if you did it for the wrong reasons. And I think number two on your list would be uh, vet your hunting partners. And, and I can tell you so many horror stories of people hunting with other people that either didn't pull their own weight, didn't do any of the e-scouting, didn't bring all the gear, never made dinner, never picked up trash, never wanted to be the caller. If they are the caller, they can't even make a squeaky bugle, so they're worthless. Um, they have a bad attitude. They, need, they miss home. Like, your hunting partner is almost as important as your spouse and the best way to vet them. Cause that's what people are like, okay, well, how do you vet a hunting partner? Easy work out with them, set up early workout time, 5am. Are they on time? Are they ready to give it everything they got assign homework for them? Hey, I need you to get me a hunt plan for this drainage. I want you to know where like e-scout it, show us where to park, give us three access points. Where can we potentially spike camp? Where's water? Where should we blast from? Where should we call from? And create a hunt plan. And maybe we'll use their hunt plan. Um, go shoot with them. Uh, see if their equipment's up to snuff. Face some adversity together and see how their attitude changes. Um, I don't hunt with anyone. I'm a solo elk hunter because I just haven't found that perfect fit. I do have a hunting guy that I go with now, and we share camp. And that MFR is the most positive human I've ever met in my life. On his birthday last year, on his birthday, he fell on his bow in the dark, broke three arrows, didn't fade him. Uh, he got back to his motorcycle and somebody had vandalized it because he was hunting in their spot. It was public land, you know. Uh, so they broke his clutch lever, brake lever, broke off his battery. He, never, he just went back to camp and fixed it. Um, we ended up getting into an altercation over public land access with some outfitters. He, it didn't fade him. Like, he was never down. He was never negative. He always had a smile on his face. And that, to me, solidified he, I would hunt with him any time because he's in great shape. He has a great attitude. He puts the work in. And, um, and that, to me, is priceless. Yeah, man. Great points. And by the way, guys, if you haven't seen it, go to Elk Shake's uh, YouTube channel. He has that 
episode on there. Great episode, man. They like just the, you, I think you call it the public land hustle. Um, and it's just some really, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Really just great information on there fighting with a supposed landowner. That's not a landowner, man. Like, yeah, it really good, good, uh, good stuff on that. So go to the, go to his YouTube channel, subscribe at, watch that one for sure, man. It's really, really good. But back to your point on your, on your number two, hundred percent, man. And my opinion on that is like my number one for a hunting partner is just a really positive attitude. I got to want to hunt with you. I got to like enjoy my time. I don't care if you know as much or as skilled or as, as a, you know, has some as experience elk hunting. I don't care. Let's go out and have a lot of fun. And when I'm getting down, man, I love that you're positive and you don't care. And you're, and you're always thinking about like, all it takes is one. Let's get up. Let's get going. Let's, we're positive about this. That's what I love from a hunting partner. And like when I go hunting, so a lot of times I have to bring a videographer with me. I really enjoy hunting alone like you do because uh, I just love sitting in nature, just soaking it up, man. It just feeds my soul. And sometimes I want to do that, and but I still am filming and it's just tough, but that's what I really enjoy too. So that was number two. You hit number one. Number two, do you have a number three, Dan? What do you think? I go all day. Uh, yeah, so I think solo elk hunting for me, by the way, like this 2022, I'm not going to film as much as my hunts as I did this last year, just because I love my videographers, but I'm selfish and I just want to get back to some of my old, you know, selfie filming a little highlight reel, but uh, I like hunting by myself. I don't like having another person I'm worried about. Are they hydrated? Do they have food? Uh, is the camera on? Do we need to do an update? Like that stuff, dude, you're making your hunts harder as you know when you have another cameraman, like you're just trying to make something already that's difficult as hell, even harder. So I made the decision uh, to, to probably not film as nearly as much hunts this next year. But uh, number three would be the e-scouting thing. So a lot of us don't live in the heart of Colorado like you, and we have unlimited reps at scouting via Google Earth. And so I'm gonna plug my buddy, Mark Livestay. He's got an e-scouting course that is a masterclass. I am not even done with it. I've been on it for two years now and I'm like on chapter 20 or something, but just the, uh, the ability to filter and add layers and use Onyx and Google Earth paired together and to create a multitude of hunt plans. I don't find myself in the tent at night scratching my head on where, where should I go next? I have literally written hunt plans that I'm gonna go through and I always get that encouragement when you know the chips are down I can't buy a bugle to save my life. And I pull out plan D and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember e-scouting that. I remember that, that little wallow I found or that sneak trail to get over there. Let's go there. And uh, so number three is unlimited reps with e-scouting. You have to put the work in and it is daunting, Kurt. So 15 minutes a day, every day adds up versus waiting till August 15th, two weeks out. And you're like, oh, I got an e-scout. So I believe that e-scouting is one of the most overlooked and, and most like grossly understood methods that people need to get familiar with. Man, that's a great point. And sometimes like when I just, when I started e-scouting, I couldn't figure out the topo version to save my life. What was going down? What was going up? It just takes a while to kind of learn. So you got to dig in, you got to spend time, check out that course like Dan stated there. And it's great, like you said, man, to have multiple, multiple, multiple plans because your number one, number two, number three plan, when you go there, may not look like you think it, it does on e-scouting. It may be completely different. And you're like, crap, 
this looks like crap. I need to go to plan two, plan B or plan, you know, three or whatever. And so you're not sitting in the tent, scratching your head. I've done that many times. Oh crap. What, what am I going to do now? This doesn't look like I thought I was going to look. There's no elk. Where am I going to go? Sitting in the tent, trying to make a game plan for the next day, man. Awesome points there, man. What else we got? So number four, kind of a toss up, but it does no particular order. I would say hire an archery coach if you're a bow hunter. Uh, the thing about the camps that I've done for the last five years is that I would say 99% of the people show up have a form of target panic and they, they seem to want to get rid of the arrow. They punch the trigger uh, and they don't know how to conquer that. They don't have the steps to blueprint their shot process. And so what ends up happening is they work really hard for that one shot opportunity. And then once it happens, if you ask them what went on, they're like, I don't even know. I blacked out. I, I, I threw the pen on there and I hammered the trigger and that will work because I've done it, but um, it will work until it doesn't. And so I would say really either an archery coach or take an online course and really understand the fundamentals of a controlled shot process, blueprinting your process step-by-step step, and staying fully conscious in the moment will make it more enjoyable when you shoot a controlled arrow at an animal especially when you work seven days for one shot. And so I think a lot of people don't even know what I'm talking about. And if that's the case, then they should definitely consider hiring an archery coach because it all does boil down to your shot execution, um, which is why we talked about being obsessed. I am obsessed with archery and practicing daily. And so that is what I'm out there practicing is, is solidifying my blueprint and really, no matter the distance of the shot or the pressure, it all stays the same. I'm fully aware and conscious and focused on going through my step-by-step -step shot process and having a clean surprise release every arrow. Very good, Matt. I'm going to throw this back to baseball a little bit. Me and you played some baseball back in the day, and we know it takes hundreds of reps to build a habit, right? So, like, you're, you're, you're talking about let's hire an archery coach. Absolutely. Let's get the form down really well not everyone's form is going to be exactly the same everyone's got a little bit different but let's get that down and then let's practice and practice and practice and practice practice under stress practice under kneeling different situations for when like your brain needs to shut off it's like breathing just like baseball when you step in that batter's box and you have that pitch coming at 92 mile an hour you're not thinking about how to hit the ball it's automatic it's like breathing so when you're up there and you have that bowl 30 40 yards away and you're panicked as hell Hey, calm the heart rate. And it's like breathing. You've already done thousands of reps and it's not a, you said seven day for that one shot. Most of us, man, it's like 20 years for that one shot, right? It's like growing up hunting. It's understanding how to hunt, where to hunt, how to shoot a bow. It's all that culmination coming down for one split second of pulling the trigger on that bull has got to be like breathing, man. It's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. I think the last one uh, would probably be we'll just call it elk vocalizations for lack of a better term. But um, I would say get a diaphragm, get a tube, put it in your truck. And I'm not going to say just start practicing because that's just not too, that's not specific enough. I would almost take a piece of paper and write down as many sounds that you know of or study up and figure out the difference between a bark bugle, a bark, like an alarm bark, a, a social mew. And there's, everyone's got different terminology. So that doesn't really matter as long as you understand your terminology 
write down all the sounds that a cow can make, a calf can make, uh, a young adolescent bull can make, a herd bull, a bull talking to his cows, a bull gr uh, grunting or chuckling at another bull. Have a list, look at the list and go down the list, practicing the fundamental sounds. And you know, don't just get in your truck and try to do the coolest, loudest, baddest bugle. Uh, and really understand how to make those sounds and practice now versus a couple weeks before season. Uh, I think I've made it known, but I'm not huge into elk vocalizing. Although there are times where you got to vocalize either to locate elk or to, to turn the table and get them to come into you to, to act on their natural instincts, either defend their right to breed with a physical altercation or they're going to flee. They're going to fight or flight. And um, sometimes you got to call them on the, on the carpet and then they're going to say things that you need to know that they're saying that. Um, because I think at the end of the day, if you want to kill more elk, here's your golden nugget. Elk do the same shit no matter what state you're in. They're elk. And once you start to understand their patterns, what their needs are, their wants, and you know what they're going to do before they do it, you're going to start getting more shot opportunities. And so understanding elk's sounds and what they mean are huge and then practice them in your vehicle away from your wife. Trust me, I've worn that one out um, is your best bet. That is funny you say that, man, because that's how I learned how to call elk is in my truck driving to and from places is bugling. And people must have thought I was just insane because it's sure. blasting off bugles in my truck as I'm driving, right? So, hey, you know, it's, I know it's going to be tough for someone that's not around elk listening to sounds. You can YouTube it, listen, listen. But, like, is there any resources out there that you know of or is that something that you, got, you provide of, like, here's the sound, here's what it means, right? Yeah, it's tough. And everybody has a different spin and, and that's okay, which is why we, we started this thing called the Elk Collective because we were like, man, the Elk Nut says it this way. Um, but then, you know, Dirk says it this way, Dirk Durham, the bugler, or Jason Phelps says it this way, Joel Turner, Chris Rowe out of Colorado. All these guys are world-class elk callers, but they all have their own spins. So we started the elkcollective.com and was like, all right, we're going to put all the videos in one place where we teach you from how to start to finish elk hunting. And then we bring in everybody's different way of skinning the cat, so to speak. So you can, and I think you should be a chameleon. You should know everyone's tactic. And then you try to figure out which tactic you need to do in that situation versus being a one trick pony. Um, Cause it's, it's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be a time where you need to like do something that you you know, that another guy's playbook wouldn't call for. But if you do that, something it's going to work like that. So understand several different playbooks, different philosophies, and then be able to integrate or make your own to suit your style. Yeah. And I think at some point it becomes your playbook where you pull a little bit from here and a little bit from there, but like on your own experiences out in the elk woods around elk, you've noticed something and you do something maybe a little bit different that works. It becomes your playbook for sure. But that's, that's great, man. That was a big learning curve for me is like, you know, how do I be around an elk? How do I learn? How do I get to know what these sounds mean and when I should use them and when I should not? So like, that's a great resource, guys. Can you, can you say that again where they can find that? Yeah, it's called theelkcollective.com. And it is a digital e-scouting course with like 200 videos. You won't be able to watch them all, maybe. And um, you can kind of pick each chapter that you need to work on. And there's even fitness stuff in there as well, but e-scouting and calling um and my buddy john gaber and i built that a couple years ago and like i said we got ryan lampers on there brian barn we got 
as many big name elk hunters as we could. We have them on there kind of sharing their philosophy, their playbook. That's great, man. I appreciate you. Um, all right, dude. Well, uh, what's, what's on the docket for this season, man? You got anything exciting? You said you might be going to Alaska, right? Um, yep. What you got going? So we're going to Alaska in um, May and we're giving that hunt away on YouTube. So I don't know the time of this recording, uh, the, the giveaway or the deadlines, March 15th. So check that out. If you want to get entered to win, if there's really no strings attached, there's not a lot of red tape. It's just, we're celebrating hitting 50 K subs in YouTube and we teamed up with hunt and full. And so we're giving away not only one spot, but you and a friend get to go with us to Alaska to hunt spring bear off a boat spot and stock. You can bring a bow or rifle. So that'll be cool. And when I get back from that, I'm going to go right into my own bear hunting here in the lower 48. I'll probably hunt Idaho. And then it'll be a big long off season, man. Yeah. You know, but I do like bear hunting or even turkey hunting with a bow. I like hunting in the spring so that you can kind of chip off the rust collected from, you know, the winter, be out in the mountains, testing gear, checking the wind, making stocks, shooting broadheads, not field points. Um, there's a lot of advantages to, to spring bear hunting. And once we do that, we kind of have a season of family vacations and camping and adding to the bank account to steal from you and, and then once you know, antelope season, mid-August, and then we're doing antelope right into elk. Yeah, man, then it's a good time. It's back to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Well, Dan, man, hey, I really appreciate you spending time and talking to me on the podcast, man. If, if you have not heard of Elk Shape with, here with Dan, you need to go check it out. If you haven't heard of it, you're probably living on a rock somewhere or don't have internet or TV. Um, <laughs> where can they find you if they have not heard of you? Yeah, Elk Shape is pretty much the name. You can find it on the website or social media platforms. Right on. Dan, thanks, man. I appreciate you. You have a good day, bro. You as well. This is the Western Obsessions TV podcast, where hunting's not a hobby, it's an obsession.